I'm here with uh, Unbounded Capital. Uh, you guys are uh, a, uh, I guess I would say a venture capital firm in, involved in uh, Bitcoin SV. Um, and the, the idea for today's discussion is I figured you guys uh, might have some interesting thoughts on basically, uh, well, certainly fundraising, but also things like building businesses in Bitcoin SV. So what, what people might be, uh, you know, things that, uh, that are important for helping people create real businesses uh, using uh, Bitcoin SV as technology. Do you guys want to start? Uh, maybe just explain. Um, I, I, I will, I'll leave this open to all three of you guys. You can figure out who, who should uh, answer the question, but uh, maybe just explain what, what is the, your firm about and who are you and uh, uh, what, what, uh, what's the situation? Do you want to take it away, boss? <laughs> That's what I sure. So yeah, we're, we're a fund, Ryan, and we're investing in the Bitcoin SV ecosystem. So as a fund, we also have some uh, like derivative and asset exposure to BSV. But what we spend most of our time doing is, you know, finding businesses and entrepreneurs that we want to invest in uh, and then, you know, supporting them to build businesses on Bitcoin SV. Uh, but that's not where we started originally. Uh, we started uh, investing more broadly in uh, what we call distributed marketplaces and digital sound money. Uh, and it's been kind of a, a long and fun journey getting to the place where we feel like if we're just investing in crypto and blockchain, we really can only responsibly do so as fiduciaries uh, within the Bitcoin SV ecosystem. Uh, so I'll let Dave kind of take it away as we're very lucky to have him on the team as he, he kind of led this you know, trans transition unlearning and, and learning that got us to where we are today. Yeah, and uh, it's also largely thanks to your meetup, Ryan. So I yeah. was living in the Bay Area at the time. <clears throat> and well, I guess to rewind a little bit, we had a position in Bitcoin Cash uh, because we were interested in big block Bitcoin um, and saw the, the downsides to the small block scaling roadmap and Lightning Network, and also just noticed an inauthenticity and weirdness around the conversation and censorship and all these things aren't uh, indicative of a healthy ecosystem. So we had a position with Bitcoin Cash and after the fork with Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin SV, we initially were on Bitcoin Cash and we were like, okay, this is the path. Um, but Zach and I realized in conversation at his house one night, like, oh, we actually don't have a very robust like foundation for this position. It's, it's very emotional. And uh, we all, all three of us are pretty introspective and like to uh, kill sacred cows. So in the name of uh, steel manning that position, I was like, oh, I'll just hop over to the San Francisco Bitcoin SV meetup um, and went to that. And I think, I think Joshua Hensley was presenting on Unwriter that day. Um, and the presentation was interesting. It was mostly over my head. Um, but the conversation I had with people there was just like, very clearly of higher quality than the conversation I had with other people at cryptocurrency meetups or conferences. So um, that sent us down a rabbit hole of learning more about it. And the more we did, the more we were convinced that, oh, this is uh, not only a better technical solution to Bitcoin, but the economic thinking is much more robust and the people that are in it are just of higher quality. Um, and since, since doing that, our, our time spent doing due diligence on projects has just improved greatly. Our signal to noise ratio, something that we all think about as an Asim Taleb fans has improved. Um, and like all, all indications are we made the right decision. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was an interesting rabbit hole to jump down that we continue to uh, go down. As yeah. We okay. So this is, a, this is just extremely, extremely interesting to me because so from my perspective, because I've been around for so long and was so, somewhat uniquely immersed in everything that happened in crypto from probably I was full-time starting in 2013 until now. And basically in a nutshell, there was the block size drama, which due to the nature of everything I was trying to do was like this central problem uh, that took many years actually to, to sort of get around this issue. And one of the things that happened that sounds so absurd when I talk about this to outsiders, but it's like, I, I like, I'm not trying to be offensive when I say stuff like this, but, it's like, I'm just, I'm just trying to say the truth. There were people that leveraged censorship and propaganda to manipulate the conversation for several years in a row. And so to hear you guys come in and have to work really hard to actually understand what's going on and figure things out in a way that's different than what other people have learned. 
is just really, really interesting because it's like you actually have to put in a lot of work to figure these things out. I mean, what, from your perspective, um, you know, let me, let me pitch this to you as a question. It's like, um, why was it hard to learn about these things? Well, I think we became aware of like the censorship actually more of like Roger Ver and Bitcoin Cash before around kind of Bitcoin SV and Craig. And it's hard because basically the, the people that we're talking to and the information sources that we're reading just didn't talk about this whatsoever and painted things in a very black and white way and more insidiously spoke things as spoke kind of like very emotional opinions as just like known facts. And then one day we just realized like, oh, wait, like, why is Roger Ver a sleazy guy? Like, you know, just that's like, oh yeah, of course, because you know, everyone knows Roger is, is a terrible person. And we're like, oh, well, maybe we should actually look into that a little bit. And then when you look into it, you see, oh, there's actually, like you, you can't look at it, whatever your views on Bitcoin Cash Roger Ver is, you can't look at it and say that it hasn't been like a systematic misinformation campaign about him, about larger blocks. And then as investors, you see, okay, well, that's probably priced into the market. So, hmm, maybe there's a good investing opportunity here when you have everyone that is like looking very, you know, emotionally at this subject and not really allowing for proper discourse. And then after going deeper into that, we find, oh, not only is there a great opportunity in terms of like narrative and emotional mispricing, but there's actually really strong fundamentals here. Uh, you know, that's kind of, as an investor, you look for these kind of rare opportunities where you see really strong fundamentals, but huge undervaluations due to emotional inertia. That's like the, the dream as an investor to find. Totally. And, you know, not only do we feel like we found this, we found it at the beginning of inflection and inflection point of which our global economic system is changing as a result. So we just feel very lucky for, you know, the meetup that you have, you know, put on and just kind of being at the right place at the right time, because most people in crypto, even the, you know, digital gold, Bitcoin people, like they're also these like Nassim Taleb fans and contrarians and people that view, like they put on a lot of work to get to where they are now. And like, we were there too. So like there's, there's layers and it's just, it's hard to like always be honest with yourself, always admit that you're wrong, always kind of peel back the next, the next layer. I, I think also the right place, right time, um, component of that extends to, I entered the cryptocurrency space um, and got interested in it around the time of the first fork between Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin S uh, and BTC. So I didn't have, so I was learning about everything at that point, right? So I didn't really have a bias towards one camp or the other. But what I did see was a strong bias that seemed very emotional against Bitcoin Cash. So it was fortunate that I didn't come into that fork with like, oh, Bitcoin Cash, Bcash, what a scam. Um, because I just had an open mind and I was learning about the space generally. So that, that was also somewhat fortunate timing for me personally. Okay. I think also the fact that we were coming in as a smaller fund um, and are trying to compete with much more established funds who uh, can, can more easily just sort of take on the bull side and go with consensus. Uh, we had to find a different way of inserting ourselves, which I think, is sort of what brought us into the industry in the first place, meeting other investors, seeing a very sort of naive approach, even though we couldn't necessarily comment at that point on whether their actual views about crypto were right or not. Really what drew us in the space was just a general feeling that um, wise investment decisions were not being made. And we didn't know exactly why or how, but uh, yeah. that's, that's what brought us in in the first place. And so we were always very drawn to the bear cases, which just felt much stronger. And so, you know, I think our first real foothold in the industry was just like avoiding almost all tokens um, because it just seemed full of flaws. And the Bitcoin bull case, the BTC bull case was a little bit easier to digest up front, especially when you took lightning to be kind of an inevitability. And at some point, you know, our diligence on the industry broadly, you know, came in phases. And, and at some point it's like, okay, clearly we have to understand lightning for ourselves and we can't keep taking this as a given. And I think that was a big, for me, that was sort of the, the, the first time that like everything that's being told in the mainstream is, is flawed in very big ways. Um, 
we were already sort of out on ether for other reasons. And at that point, it just, it was a signal that either we needed to learn something different and figure out a different path or else probably this just wasn't the industry for us. And uh, I think a lot of people got, get to that point and maybe just drop out entirely um, because it just seems like nothing is going to work ever. Uh, and if, if your universe is limited to those assets, that is probably the logical takeaway. Um, and so I look at someone like a Peter Schiff and say, well, he gets it. You know, it's obvious to him that this will never work. Um, and, you know, he's not incentivized to look deeper. Uh, he didn't have the sort of sunk cost that we did to like try and make it work as a crypto fund who felt like we had an edge in thinking over our competition. Um, but I think were we not in that position at that point when Lightning just seemed to be a guaranteed failure, we probably would have just dropped it and moved on to other things. Okay, so all this is just super, super interesting to me. So I wanna say I've got this expression, uh, uh, when other people are being irrational, therein lies opportunity. So I, I think of this a lot when in situations like this, like you can detect uh, something wrong and so if you can go in there and basically just keep a cool head when other people, people are being emotional, you can figure out what the truth is and take advantage of that opportunity, which sounds like what you guys are doing. Um, and I, I want to I say for the sake of the audience listening to this, um, what I perceive in what you guys are saying, like when you, when you see things like, uh, you made a few comments about things like Lightning Network and, and the tokens and things like this. Um, there's a lot of really just blatantly false information on social media about all of these things. And it's really, it's not a joke to say that it's both censorship and propaganda. And I want to explain just again, this is like for the historical record here, I plan to create more content about this in the future too, to make sure all this stuff is actually out there. Um, there were people that, uh, th so there were like a, a few community forums around Bitcoin and then what would become the, the cryptocurrency uh, 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 sort of, let's say, communication systems. Um, there were a small number of people that controlled them. One of the guys that's more well-known is called Thamos. He controlled the Bitcoin talk forum. I think he also controlled the Bitcoin development mailing list. Way back in, I think it was, uh, gosh, it was probably 2015. I'll have to check the dates later. But yeah, I think it was, I think it was early 2015. Uh, Gavin Andresen mailed the mailing list about now's the time to consider increasing the maximum block size. And from that day forward, you had this unusual response from people that it's like they went into um, sort of overdrive trying to prevent any increase in the maximum block size. And this was like a change in the, in the discussion. And they started doing things like deleting anyone who said that it was a good idea to raise the maximum block size and then creating, as best I can tell, just willfully fake information about Bitcoin. And this kind of spiraled out into the rest of the cryptocurrency industry. And so what ended up happening by 2017 or so it was actually that social media was, act and I didn't even really fully appreciate how serious it was at the time. I look back in hindsight and go, oh, now it seems really crazy to me when I look back on it. But it was really filled with lots of fake information. So to give you an example, people would just make an outrageous claim about the ability of Lightning Network to solve a problem. And so they would tweet it. And it, it, would, be, it would be so interesting and so hypey that everyone retweets it. Everyone starts believing it based on Twitter. And the other interesting thing is you have a lot of cryptocurrency publications, lots of them where they're as low quality as you could possibly imagine. They literally, and I, I give, I know examples of this from my personal life. They will take a tweet that itself is wrong and then write an entire article based on a tweet that's just a made up article. And I, they've done this to me several different times. So if they're doing this to me and I guess, well, I know that's fake because it's my own life. Um, they're doing this to, to everyone. So like these crypto publications are really, really low quality information. It's like, all they're doing is it's just pure clickbait. They're getting people to click around and look at all these things. And effectively what happened was they convinced, um, you know, the, the reason why the prices are so irrational is because, well, it was all amateur investors. I mean, it was the least experienced investors just investing based, based on emotion. So that explains why it's so extreme with the, the bubble and all this stuff and why it was so emotional. Well, because they're, they're not professionals. It was all mostly amateurs. And even the professionals who got involved, well, it was so emotional that even they, you know, many, many, you know, sort of, let's say, uh, people that would, would normally have a cooler head, well, even they got really excited about it because it was such a big bubble. Uh, anyway, go ahead. Yeah, yeah I Zach, think, I well, Zach and I, um, 
we have backgrounds as poker players and used to run a poker media and training business together. Uh, and I think that that's really useful hands-on training for exactly this kind of thing, both understanding that deception is a thing <laughs> and that people actively do it in pursuit of money. Uh, I think a lot of investors in the space of the sort of uh, fresh variety that you were alluding to maybe don't have that tool in their arsenal. They're not on the lookout constantly for misinformation. Uh, Zach and I have been on the other end. I mean, in a game where, you know, deception is, I think, much more uh, or thought of in a more ethical way. It's just sort of part of the landscape. Um, but we're used to being on the other end of that and therefore maybe are better prepared to see it. And also that sort of poker of anything, I think, forces one to be extremely dispassionate. Uh, and it's that hands-on experience with, you know, decision-making with money again and again, taking on risk, uh, learning not to be emotionally driven by past outcomes uh, and desired outcomes is just another skill set that is really, really sorely lacking, not just in, I think, young investors, but uh, established investors. And it's something that it's, it's so obvious to Zach and I because of that background that um, when, when you see it so blatantly throughout an industry, uh, you know, it just gets, it gets our like uh, light bulb going. It says like, oh yeah, this is, uh, this is where the action is. These are the fish. Right. Uh, yeah it's like the equivalent of you know going to a poker room and there's 10 tables nine of which everyone's kind of like quiet and you know doesn't have a lot of money in front of them and then there's one table where everyone's like yelling and screaming and drinking with a lot of money in front of them that's <laughs> like you know if you're looking at it just from the perspective of like i'm gonna be a vulture in an asset class like you know i think i think crypto is a good a good avenue for that but of course you know that while that is like fun and exciting and you know hopefully this venture will continue to be you know financially lucrative for us of course we're also i think you know much more motivated by things that are not money uh when it comes to you know investing in the space yeah and one interesting one interesting point about the misinformation i think a portion of it is intentional uh especially on social media and censorship and stuff like that is obviously malicious, but I think a good portion of it is also just human psychology and people want to share good news and good news translates to good for my investment. And I mean, just today I was, I saw news about, oh my God, China's central bank is going to crack down on, on the exchanges operating in their country. And it's like, that's not, that's not actually news. The financial action task force under China's presidency announced that last July. So it's like people just didn't have any incentive to share it because it was bad for their investment. So it's, it's this interesting thing where you'll share something that is definitely newsworthy and important for your investment and it'll get shouted down as FUD. And I remember this moment when I was thinking about FUD and I was like, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Like these are all, these all should be a component of your thinking as you're investing. You should definitely be uncertain. You should definitely have some doubts. Um, and that should make you fearful for your returns. And it's just like to, to excise FUD as part of your investment making seems totally irrational to me. Also, Dave, I think you, you touched on an important point here, which is, you know, when you're in the interest of like trying to find good news, you will find it. And that's even stronger when it's not just your investment that you care about, but it's your ideology. And this is why I think, you know, crypto is, is kind of so unique in that you have not just kind of inexperienced investors, you have inexperienced investors that are like very ideological and have very clear like goals and aims that are, uh, you know, often I think supersede the, the just trying to get a good return. So when you have the kind of combination of like mistakes that are take place, even in, you know, publicly traded equities markets by professional investors with people that are fundamentally investing because they want to see, you know, a decentralized world, uh, whatever that means to them. Uh, it's this kind of potent combination for, uh, both irrational markets, but then also, you know, irrational um, use of time, which is, I think, one of the saddest things for us, which is we see so many developers that are smart, hungry, and motivated, 
that are building on blockchains that fundamentally can't scale right now. And that's just, you know, really sad from the standpoint of us as investors. And, you know, we're looking forward to hopefully, uh, you know, getting more developers excited about building on a blockchain that could actually accommodate uh, what they want for their business. So if I could just say, so I'm trying to think of like, you know, what is, how can people actually learn from this? I, I like the idea that you guys were uh, involved in poker and you, you, you saw poker as being a, uh, like actually an important lesson. So maybe something people can do if they, like imagine someone lost money in crypto, maybe they should go learn poker and, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, become more rational. <laughs> we definitely have a clear bias towards investing in, you know, poker competent people or poker players <laughs> because th there's just, you know, J Jack and I also share a background in, in uh, playing jazz music. And I think what both of those have in common are that, you just really can't lie to yourself, you know, like if, if you're lying to yourself in poker, you're just going to like lose the hands again and again, and you're going to lose a lot of money. If you're not putting in the work on your instrument, like it's not going to sound good. So there's nothing really to hide behind where when you're making like a investment decisions, like, Oh, it'll get better soon. Or, or, you know, you can get lucky. And then that kind of, you know, allows you to think that all your decisions are good for a while. So poker just forces you to be like naked, honest and analytical. And I highly recommend it to anyone that is trying to do anything with risk management, where if you're an entrepreneur, poker is, is chiefly that. And I would argue, especially for investors, I think it's, it's very good for entrepreneurs, but it's, it's more applicable for investing. Like I, I would argue having a serious background in poker, especially at a younger age is more valuable than having a background in traditional investing because of kind of those mental game things that it, it forces you to learn. But yeah, we, I mean uh, we, you know, Jack is still, uh, you know, running our, our poker strategy podcast and we have content on that. And if anyone wants to kind of write us and ask for some recommendations, I think it's a, it's a really wonderful hobby that is also really synergistic with, you know, having a successful career in business. Great. Let's be sure to link to the, your poker uh, podcast then in the, in the notes of this so people can click through. That's awesome. Cool. Um, okay. So, so then can we talk about like uh, what, um, you know, in, in your, in your sort of, for, in, in your view, um, what is it about Bitcoin SV that draws you in? And let me, let me be a little bit more clear because my understanding is you guys kind of pivoted from a little bit more broad in crypto to completely focused on Bitcoin SV. Is that correct? And then like, you know, what is it specifically that that's, that's right about Bitcoin SV that's not right about the rest of the ecosystem? Yeah, so that, that's correct. I would say our fund started much more narrow than most as kind of Jack was alluding to, but still, of course, you know, much broader than being a Bitcoin SV ecosystem fund, which is where we've arrived today. And, you know, the, the key factors of, you know, Bitcoin SV that we really like are that it can actually scale. It's trying to scale on all of the metrics that matter for building businesses and storing immutable data. It's like hundreds or thousands of times as good as all of the other alternatives that exist today. Um, and then as venture investors, you know, think about what it what it takes to become an entrepreneur that's building a Bitcoin SV right now, given all the misinformation out there. In the same way that, like, you, we feel like it's going to be good long term for us as investors, uh, there's this subgroup of people that also did that diligence, that also, uh, you know, kind of uncovered the truth despite so much information to the contrary that's kind of dominating the public sphere. So while it's going to change over time it's an amazing heuristic for just like a really smart and diligent entrepreneur. If they're building on Bitcoin SV like right now, despite kind of what's going on uh, in terms of the broader narrative. Yeah. Okay. So, um, uh, uh, so, okay. So I find that the, the idea of scale interesting because uh, the, the, you know, if you, if you go back into the original, uh, you know, we, we don't look to Satoshi like a God. Satoshi is a person who invented Bitcoin. But what Satoshi said about Bitcoin matters a lot because whoever created Bitcoin must have had some idea the right way to put something like this together. So you can go back in and read Satoshi and it was pretty clear what the original idea was in my opinion. It definitely included a notion of, well, there was no maximum block size. The original code didn't have a maximum block size. Um, and then you can, you can look at how Bitcoin is architected. And if you know anything about things like distributed systems, um, things like, uh, so I used to be a scientist and we would work on uh, things like, uh, 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 things like, well, either collecting data from an experiment, which depending on the experiment can be, you just have to worry about scale and the, the size of things like bandwidth and computation, things like this. 
Bitcoin is very well designed from that perspective, but it actually is designed in a scalable way. And this kind of rose back into this misinformation thing, because what happened is like the fact that you discover that Bitcoin SV is scalable should be common knowledge. Um, but it isn't because people created fake information based on ideology. So the ideology that you're mentioning before, well, the BTC people are incredibly ideological. Like they have a particular idea of what decentralization means to them. And they sort of, sort of, uh, I would, I would argue in a, in a sort of subversive way, uh, like, like didn't allow other perfectly valid definitions of decentralization or other ideologies or reason and science to be involved in, in the debate and shaped everything. And so people think that what decentralization means is just some, what I think is an unworkable idea. Like it's not even about whether it's a good idea. It's more like it just isn't going to work at all. Um, and SV is literally just, well, we're just going to have big blocks basically. And it's going to work out because the economics are correctly designed and it's going to scale because it, it can be parallelized. Um, so anyway, uh, I guess all I'm saying is, um, it, it is, you know, the, the fact that it's hard to uncover this and figure this out is really interesting because it really is related to the, the uh, fake information uh, that people have created. And so new people come in and they're immersed in fake information. It's really hard to figure this out. So I don't know, any thoughts or comments on that? Yeah, I think it's, when you talk about um, the BTC notion of scale being an unworkable idea, it's interesting in that I think their version of Bitcoin is both more socialist and more elitist, which is not necessarily surprising, but it's a part of what I think attracts us so much to BSV in addition to the fact that it works better is the fact that I think the mindset is much, much more inclusive and that ties to scale. You know, scale means more room. It means more people can participate. But I also think that extends to things like law, where having a protocol that operates within the legal system, having a protocol that interacts with the real world, these are both sort of a form of inclusion that I think BTC lacks, where, you know, BSV is inclusive in that it wants to interface with the real world. And some of these other protocols don't actually want to interface with the real world. They want to create something totally separate. And in doing so, their only real path to success is to create something that's extremely limited and, uh, in, in a word, elitist. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I agree with that. I think it's interesting, though. I, I try to, uh, so I agree with what you said. Um, however, I know that other people wouldn't agree. So if you talk with the BTC people, many of them would say, no, 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 we're not socialists. We're the capitalists. And you guys are the socialists. And they throw around the word socialist like it's a, like it's, you know, they're just trying to insult the other people by calling them socialists. So I agree with you. And I do think that, I mean, the way I look at this is what we're doing with Bitcoin SV, it's an economic system. And it's very much like a capitalist and free market minded system. The idea is you can create businesses um, that solve infrastructure problems in Bitcoin. So my expression for this is every problem with Bitcoin can be solved with Bitcoin. There is no problem with the protocol. And of course, the protocol by itself doesn't solve every problem. But what you can do is you can build businesses that earn and spend Bitcoin, of course, uh, to solve infrastructure challenges. So that's how it's going to scale, which is exactly like the internet, except the internet didn't have its own form of money that you could actually pay each other inside of the system itself, which Bitcoin does. Um, in any case, um, uh, uh, yeah, so the, the, the socialism thing, it's like I, I, I just, I, I try not to use those words ever because they're so, uh, uh, let's say, uh, 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 interpreted differently by different people. So. Yeah. Yeah. At a certain point, it's not a very productive conversation. And I, I know you're talking about uh, on Twitter or on social media, people throwing those back and forth. But I think our transition to being fully in the BSV ecosystem, it can be characterized by a push and a pull. So there's a negative and the positive. So the, it started as a negative case against seeing, oh, well, everyone's wrong about this asset. People are saying kind of ridiculous things about BTC. Um, so let's, let's hedge. Let's something's wrong here. This is mispriced. Let's hedge. Um, so that started us down the rabbit hole, but the positive case, just as you learn more, 
and you learn about the metanet, and you learn about what Bitcoin at scale looks like, and you kind of leave behind just sending value back and forth, which is interesting and revolutionary, but you know, not the full scope of what it can accomplish. Um, so what started as this negative case against the ecosystem and let's make this contrarian bet became, oh, well, we have this like really aspirational pitch now that we can make about what the future of the internet looks like, what these new things can enable. And it's interesting to people who aren't interested in Bitcoin. So yeah. like you watch something like a few months ago, I watched The Great Hack on Netflix, which is this documentary about um, big data and how you know elections are changing and all these things and these problems with big data. They don't mention Bitcoin once, but the whole time I'm watching it and I'm like, oh, well, Bitcoin is exactly what you guys want. It's the solution that you don't know about. Um, and like, you're going to be interested when you hear it uh, and more interested when you see it because we're going to start demonstrating it and it's already being demonstrated with businesses today. Yeah. So now we, you know, while it's interesting to look at like, oh, wow, Lightning Network still is a shit show and like this and that, we're, we're more focused on just the positive case for BSV and um, exploring those business models and just really trying to have an edge in helping our portfolio companies um, use those new business models and the new properties of the technology to make good businesses that can yeah. outcompete legacy web and uh, brick and mortar businesses. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's wonderful. Well, maybe we can, we can move on to, to that just because I, I'm very curious your thoughts on the subjects like, uh, you know, uh, uh, what are the, like imagine you're someone starting a business and you you find our conversation agreeable that you're like, yeah, there's something about Bitcoin SV. I, I get it. What would you recommend? I've got a few different questions, but um, how about one is more like uh, what, what do you, what do you think are good business opportunities right now for someone that wants to start a company uh, in Bitcoin SV? Yeah, I think uh, you have to, I think in the short term, well, I, well, let me first say this. Part of it depends on your timeline. You know, are you someone who's in a position where you can build for the future 10 years from now? Or are you someone who, if you're going to take a shot at being an entrepreneur, you need to you know, see some success in the next year or two? Um, and because those, those are two different challenges and the opportunities for one are different than the opportunities for the other. So focusing more on know, the short term, I think the key is you have to focus on um, things that only BSV can do that people want. Uh, because it's the adoption, or getting people to adopt BSV and sort of a nascent ecosystem is such a big challenge that you have to put something in people's face that they can really only get from you. And to me, the, the number one thing that BSV offers that people would want and they can't get anywhere else is micropayments. Uh, and we've seen businesses emerge that leverage micropayments, but I think that that is, to me, if, if you're looking for like low-hanging fruit that you're providing a clear competitive advantage by building a BSV um, and it's something that's easy for people to understand that could yield success for you on like a one or two year timeline, that's where I'd be looking is leveraging micropayments. I think there's a reason Craig says that that's the killer app. You know, we already have the killer app, it's micropayments. I agree, so I would, that's where I would look. Yeah, and just taking a step back, like building a business is really, really hard. And building a successful business, you know, that grows in enterprise value over the years, it's like really, really, really hard, regardless of if you're building on BSV or not. So if you're listening to this and you found that you're in a position now where you think that, you know, there's going to be a world built on Bitcoin and you're one of the kind of early adopters and entrepreneurs, that's a big edge. You now have this like killer technology that you can use that, you know, perhaps your, you know, more experienced operators are not going to really look at by and large for a number of years. So you should take advantage of that. But still, you know, there's there's building like interesting apps and there's building a business. And, you know, as Jack said, it's like even the short term success case is like one or two years. Like it's really hard. You got to be ready to kind of put everything you have in the business and not just, you know, in the product, but in the kind of, you know, entire vision for the business. Yeah. yeah. One, yeah. One, Go one ahead, thing sorry. to add to that is um, 
I agree fully that micropayments are huge. It's an interesting case because people in the crypto space are kind of aware of that use case because it used to be a selling point of BTC, although they've abandoned it. But what might be more interesting is even just um, owning your data. And this is something that you talk about a lot, Ryan, the own your data paradigm. I think people see the need for something like that. They don't think it's technically possible um, unless they're aware of Bitcoin. But if they're aware of BTC and think they know about Bitcoin, they, they still think it's not possible because they think it's not possible at scale. So I think a lot of people are around the edges of that conversation. They've identified the problem, which is the right first start. And once they see, oh, there's this good solution, and better yet, once prices you know, continue to fall as competition increases on the mining side, um, and there more use cases will open up to be economically viable at that point, then people are really going to appreciate um, owning their own data and the problems that solves and just the new business models that it enables, especially okay. in conjunction with micropayments too. Yeah, uh, I'll just, uh, I have to follow up on that just because that is exactly sort of, because I think of the micropayments thing as being a, uh, a, a subset of the superset that's actually this own your data paradigm. So I think the own your data paradigm is a very good thing to do right now because it's, it's somewhat mainstream. Like, although I don't think if you pulled the, a random person in the world that they would have any idea what we're talking about. I do think that there are, uh, you know, let's say, I would, I would guess something like tens of millions of people that actually know what we're talking about and, and care about these types of things. Like many of the people in my life, and it's not like I, I'm not friends with a random sample of people, but many of them are just off of social media altogether because they, they don't like the way that they have to give all of their data to social media. So that's an example. So I think there's a reasonably mainstream trend there. I also think that we can actually create better products for people. And I think we should always keep that in mind that like, well, it, really the only way you're going to achieve genuine success here is you, you actually have to beat the competition. So your product has to actually be better, but it can be because we can actually make better user experiences for things like this. Instead of having this mishmash of like these centralized companies where you have to like hop from one ecosystem to another, if there's a single unified ecosystem where the pieces fit together, you can create holistic apps that solve all sorts of problems that are actually many different businesses working together. I think the user experience can be better. And my example of this is I like the idea of doing things like imagine writing a legal contract in partnership with your lawyers and then also inviting people in to sign a contract. And you can actually go through the entire process of writing a legal contract with various parties involved using under the hood. It's actually many different businesses are writing pieces of software that are being fit together to make this possible. But you ultimately go through the entire process of writing, creating a, a legal contract that is then also actually enforced inside of software. So you could do things like hire someone to be an employee. And then, you know, the contract itself is constructed that way, along with everything up through uh, their job in the company and paying them and everything with revenue. And all. So you can imagine connecting all these dots together in a way that the user experience would be unbelievably good. I mean, imagine instead of having to have, you know, I mean, how would you do something like that today? Well, it's a mishmash of tons and tons of different uh, applications and you got to email people and use 10 different messaging systems and all this stuff. So I think we can ultimately create a, a much better, uh, uh, we can create better products doing this thing. And I'll also say that uh, right now, because one of the things we've learned with Money Button is kind of interesting. So Money Button is widely used for micropayments. So we have, I think, I think most of the apps that are popular are micropayments based, but they also write data to the blockchain. It's actually both of those things together, every single one of them. So the two of the big ones are, uh, let's see, there's Twitch, uh, there's City on Chain, uh, there's Wayblock. Um, let me think of other, uh, there, are, there are a number of other smaller ones. They all combine this idea of you actually write your data to the blockchain and then pay for data on the blockchain. Now, they're all somewhat MVP in the sense that they haven't, they haven't fleshed out the full vision of this yet, but you can see they're all working versions of the unification of owning your data and micropayments together. So if you fit them together, and that's why I like to pitch the idea that Bitcoin is actually both information and money. Because if you really want to solve these problems, you want to solve things like how do you really allow the user to own their data? You need, like, you need the ability to monetize the work that you create. It's like you have to have both of them. And some things are, small, some things are just small amounts of money. Sometimes it's a post or something like this, or it's a component of something bigger. You need both of them together. Um, so I think they go hand in hand. I think that's a really good near-term uh, business model. And of course, for anybody who wants to use Money Button, you can create such apps using Money Button uh, right now. 
Uh, and I think there's, there's a giant opportunity for, for those types of applications. So anyway, in, in a nutshell, I think of the own your data as being a superset of micropayments. And I think that the, the bigger opportunity is actually own your data. That's my opinion. So what do you guys think? I think that's, I mean, I think that's right. Um, I think another thing that is worth focusing on is the element of transparency. And I think with all these things, you want to look for users in like maybe more low stakes situations. Uh, you know, like building a product for banks on BSV with like a one or two year timeline is probably missing the mark just because you know, there are certain players in an ecosystem who are going to have to wait until things are very, very proven and risk-free. Whereas I think there's a lot of processes in the world. You know, one thing that comes to mind very easily for me uh, is like, you know, research where more transparency would help uh, the value of these products. Um, and right now there's not an easy way to provide transparency to those sorts of processes where Bitcoin allows you to do that um, and it allows you to do it very cheaply. And so the transparency angle for people who are not dealing with like large amounts of money, but they can utilize this element of transparency to improve the value of their product. Uh, I think it's another area that can come into play relatively quickly and the kind of thing that could probably be supported by just like a few institutional level sales who are able to, uh, you know, they have a lot of money, but it's not necessarily like a super high risk endeavor for them. Just using like a nascent technology to provide more transparency about an opaque process that they're already doing. Uh, I think there's a lot of opportunity in that sphere. And I, I, I want to piggyback on what uh, Jack is saying with some, you know, more kind of specific uh, sectors. So we're not really speaking in generalities, but if someone, you know, wants to actually execute on this and contact us, you know, we'd be thrilled about this. So uh, the kind of gaming gambling sector, I think there's a lot of opportunity for kind of increased transparency. Um, so for example, take poker. Right now, if you want to host like a private poker game for any meaningful amount of money, there's like either like a big security risk because people are coming in with cash or there's a credit risk and that you have to trust that someone is going to, you know, send you your Venmo or your PayPal and not everyone wants to, you know, use crypto or whatever. So what if there were a way in which when you sit down to play, you lock up all of, you know, to start, let's say just your Bitcoin uh, and everyone kind of locks that together. And then at the end, uh, everyone has to like, you know, kind of agree on a truth and then that Bitcoin is distributed. So that's kind of a really easy, I think, thing to build for like the poker sphere, which could then grow into a much more meaningful business about just the way that we kind of deal with counterparty risk when making any types of bets, not just in the gambling sphere, but, you know, within investing in general. And I have a lot of confidence over like a 20 year time horizon. We're going to see a lot of the counterparty risks that are just the reality of our financial system today go away because they're no longer necessary due to kind of increased transparency and the ability to, you know, lock up capital with an escrow that you can, you know, trust greater than any individual institution. One thing, one thing I want to add for everybody also, I mean, I think a lot of people are in this position where they understand that they're first to something great and they want to be a part of it. They want to build like that's the, you know, the mantra of BSV is build, build, build. And building is important, but you know, if you, I think the sort of uh, comparing Bitcoin to or in crypto to like uh, the creation of the internet, it's an it's an overplayed analogy, but there's some truth. And certainly, understand that like not every great business in BSV is going to be created in the first year or two or three. Of BSV's existence. They're going to be great businesses that are created, you know, in years five through 10 and beyond, of course. I mean, that's obvious, but it's, it's not for everybody today. Like if you have no savings, like it's going to be really hard to build a business. Um, and so if, if you're in that position, think of it like this, you can either go for it today 
or you can be like the first dev with five years experience building on PSV, or like one of the first people, or like one of the first uh, like biz dev or marketing people with five or 10 years experience in the BSV world. And that can be your launch um, into your entrepreneurial dreams. Like it's a long game. You don't have to do it today. Uh, and I think that, you know, we talk a lot about entrepreneurs. We spend most of our time talking to entrepreneurs. Uh, but I think that it's, it's such a sexy thing that it can steer maybe a over allocation of people into that sector where maybe people who are driven that way would in some cases, just based on their overall, you know, sort of training and financial situation may want to defer that kind of thing. And so that's just, uh, I just want to open people's minds to the idea that like there are many paths and yeah. entrepreneurism yeah. or entrepreneurship uh, can be a part of that path now or in five years or in 10 years. And that doesn't mean that you're like putting you're, you're killing your dream by not starting a business today. Yeah. One thing to add to that. One of my favorite aspects of the BSV space is when I'm going to conferences or meetups, basically everybody has a full-time job that's outside of Bitcoin. And what they do is they have identified the pain points in their industry. And then they're thinking about what does Bitcoin allow that I can solve these pain points. Um, basically everyone that I meet is like that. There's very few people that are full-time doing something in Bitcoin unless they already have a business that they're working on. Um, so I think like, yeah, learn more about Bitcoin. This is what we're doing. This is what everyone's doing. Craig is doing, um, learn more about Bitcoin and, uh, really hone in on your expertise and your industry and find a way to marry the two. And because of the extensibility of things like own your own, owning your own data or micropayments, I would imagine like virtually every industry can be impacted and will be impacted. So, uh, it's great that you're first to Bitcoin but also be the first to Bitcoin in your industry, you know, and that's a, it's a great way to start. So that, that's really wonderful. I want to give my, my sort of personal perspective on what you're saying. The way I look at what you guys are saying is something like, um, you know, I think it's really, really important to build the right thing. And any time that you spend building the wrong thing is basically wasted time. So if you're going out there just trying to start a business, but you don't know exactly what you're doing, um, you might just be burning down your savings to zero and run out of money, which, which was a risk for me early on because I don't think we started actually doing the right thing and we managed to survive somehow anyway. I think we finally figured that out, but it took a while. So even if you want to start a business, I would, I would say something like, if you're not confident about what that is exactly, it's a very good idea to either, you don't have to be full-time as you guys are saying, working at another company where you're actually figuring out over time the right way to solve a problem for them maybe that takes three years to figure out in detail. Well, fine. Now you've got a really good business opportunity or you join another company and you know, you take sort of more of an insider path or whatever it is. But in any case, um, certainly uh, uh, I, I would say that you should start a business if you have the right idea. If you don't have the right idea, um, maybe it's not a good idea. It'll, it'll, uh, it'll be awfully hard if you don't have that. Nail yet, so. I also say this because well, I'm, I it's, it's clear there's a lot of amazing jobs that are going to become available in the BSV space, um, or from my perspective. And I think staffing is going to be hard. Uh, and you can be in a really great market uh, if you take if you go down that path. Um, it's something worth considering. Hey, Ryan, I just want to thank you for having me on. I have to jump now, but I don't want to end the conversation. Yep, no, that, uh, that's... Yeah, well, thanks. Thanks for joining, Jack. It was uh, Zach. Uh, awesome to, to talk with you. And uh, uh, yeah, thanks for joining. And uh, I'll see care. you at the next meetup. <laughs> yeah, totally. Wonderful. All right. All right see ya. All right, guys. Uh, yeah, I, I was getting close to. I know he was going to have to leave there, unfortunately. But uh, uh, maybe we can just. Uh, uh, I don't know. Any any closing thoughts? Uh, anything uh, that we uh, can uh, should should say to to the audience? Well, we just spent the last few minutes dissuading people potentially from building a business. That wasn't our intention. If you have a good business idea, we want you to pursue it. There's a lot of opportunity um, and we would love to get in touch with you um, and help you along that process. That's, that's the function that we want to serve in this ecosystem. Um, I don't know, Jack, anything from you? We like to talk to entrepreneurs. It's yeah. very fun. Um, most of our team, 
are entrepreneurs or have been entrepreneurs and we have some things to share, but mostly we can just be a soundboard. And so if you're just thinking about certain problems and looking for someone to help you craft a solution, uh, getting in touch with us is great. We enjoy that. And the better we know you, the more or the easier it is to fund whatever you're working on down the road. And so don't hesitate to like create a relationship with us. So yeah. what, what is the best way for people to find you if they do want to talk with you and uh, get in touch? They can go to our Unbounded. website, unboundedcapital.com. Um, you can also email us, dave at unboundedcapital.com, jack at unboundedcapital.com. Um, and then I guess we're on Twitter at unboundedcapcap. Um, but yeah, email or website would be the best, the best path. Yeah, we have, an, we have a share your idea form on our website, which is like, Maybe it feels impersonal, but it's just a good way to get the conversation started. Uh, and so if you have something that you're thinking about, um, that's a great way to get in touch with us and get the conversation rolling. And additionally, if you are an entrepreneur and have an idea uh, that's like more fleshed out or you just want to talk, we also have a video series of our own that Ryan's been on called Unbounded Conversations. So we would love to talk with you very informally and just discuss Bitcoin and how it can be used for your, your business. Okay. All right. Wonderful. All right. Well, guys, thanks very much for talking. Uh, you know, this was a wonderful conversation. I, I, I'm sure we could keep going. Maybe we can do another one uh, in the future at some point and, and cover some, some things that we didn't uh, already talk about, but yeah, awesome to talk with you guys. Thank you very much. And I hope this is helpful to uh, people listening uh, to get, get uh, information about uh, either starting a business or investing or whatever it is that they're doing. Although I, I think we should qualify that this is not investment advice. These are just our honest opinions about things. So please don't, please do your own research before investing anything. Um, yeah, I think we're allowed to legally give investment advice for someone's time. So maybe consider it that sort of investment advice. But yeah, as, as Ryan said, Ryan, thank you so much for, uh, for having us. It was really a yeah. pleasure to get to talk to you yeah. again. Great. Yeah, let's, yeah, let's do it again soon. Wonderful. Okay, great. All right. Well, great to talk with you guys and uh, take care. Thanks.